we kind of get a flavor of what it is that he uh, seeks to communicate in his gospel. And so a, a, a good picture, I think if I could find one passage of scripture that could help to illustrate John and his life, I thought 1 John chapter 3 uh, was, was a, a pretty good one. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whoever, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases, but pleases him. And this is his commandment, 
that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn now to reflect on your word and the author of your word that you have used by your Holy Spirit to to write one of the four gospels, um, may we understand his life and may we understand the power that Jesus has to bring about change in a life through our study of your word and study of the Apostle John, whom our Lord has chosen. And so, God, we pray that you give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen. So, the Apostle John. um, Actually, I think this of the... We're we're doing the Gospel of John. And I think it's the only Gospel that we don't... uh, Doesn't have actually mentioned who the author is. Uh, is but church history tells us that this is the the apostle John who is who has written it. There are many other Johns in the the Bible. There's John the Baptist who we're going to see next week. Uh, John, Mark, uh, some other various individuals named John. But we're going to be looking at John the Apostle. He is one of the original twelve disciples. When Jesus began his ministry, he went. And he called several individuals. We're going to see that here in the next couple of weeks to be his disciples. And then as the number of disciples grew, he uh, chose out from among them some apostles that he had kind of empowered for ministry to be able to send and do ministry. John was one of those 12, the original 12 disciples, and then one of the 12 uh, apostles. And he is actually one of the most prominent of all of the 12 apostles. Perhaps next to Peter, uh, he's probably the second most prominent of all of the apostles. He's the son of a man named Zebedee, and his mother's name is uh, Salome. He is the brother of James, not uh, Jesus's brother, but the uh, another James. He lived in the uh, area of northern Israel known as Galilee, or right around the Sea of Galilee. He's from the town of, uh, little town of Bethsaida, and he was a, fir- a fisherman. He was a very successful fisherman, actually. It was probably a, a big family business. Mark's Gospel in chapter 1 says this about Jesus as he's going around, uh, the, his, begins his ministry around Galilee says that Jesus went a little farther. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So he's one of the early followers of Jesus and was a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee and we get the idea that he was pretty successful family business because they had hired uh, servants. So there was some pretty successful family business. He uh, was originally a disciple of John the Baptist, but then when John the Baptist kind of directs his attention to 
to Jesus when Jesus begins his ministry and comes to be baptized. He then begins to follow Jesus. And it was at that time they were called to be uh, an apostle. Jesus gave uh, John and his brother, James, the nickname Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. I'm not, I think there's some kind of debate what they mean by sons, sons of thunder. What does that mean? Are they big, kind of hulky guys? Were they loud, obnoxious? I think we get a little bit of a clue in the context in that passage in Luke 9 is one of the places where it tells us that Jesus gave them that nickname. And it was right after they're going about their ministry. Uh, uh, Jesus had appointed them as apostles and had sent them out. And they're going to the region of the Sumerians which are kind of uh, half Jewish, uh, half uh, Syrian, Babylonian. And they were kind of a despised group. And as they're going through that region and they were not believing in the message, uh, James and his brother say, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans? Maybe that could be some of the idea behind their, their sons of thunder nickname that Jesus uh, gave them. As a matter of fact, let's look at that incident in uh, incident in Luke, or excuse me, Mark chapter chapter ten. Not that incident. There's another incident actually. So there, he calls down fire on the Samaritans, and then another incident is when, and there seems to be some uh, hint that maybe Salome, there, James and John's mother, was behind this request. Uh, in one passage, it says that Salome came to Jesus and kind of requested that James and John could be at at Jesus's right hand in glory and then John and James uh, come to Jesus in another uh, passage and and ask that they would be given special places of honor in the kingdom of God and that's what we we're going to look at here in Mark chapter chapter 10 beginning in verse 35 and James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in glory. Can you picture that? These two brothers wanting the very highest places of privilege at one in the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in glory. And Jesus said to them, and I, I always picture Jesus kind of chuckling a little bit here. Maybe, maybe he chuckles a little bit and goes like, oh, you young lads, you do not know what you're, you're asking. As a matter of fact, that's what he says in verse 38. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And here I think Jesus is alluding to the fact that he is going to drink the cup of God's wrath on the cross. Are you going to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? The answer here is, I think, supposed to be in the negative. But they say in verse 39, and they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. In other words, you are going to experience 
some difficulty and persecution and suffering for my name's sake. But verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Can you picture the, the, a little bit of the, the audacity here? The selfish ambition and the self-seeking or the self-love that was trying to, in, even as they have been doing life and ministry with all of the other disciples, with Jesus, that these two were lobbying and positioning themselves for the highest place of authority. They're recognizing who Jesus is. They believe he is the Messiah. And they're trying to lobby and position to have the highest place of honor when his kingdom is established. This should be a little offensive to, to the others. As a matter of fact, we see that in verse 41. And when the 10, the other 10 of the 12 apostles heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus wanted to resolve this issue here among them. And he says this very famous passage. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. James and John said, we want to be great, Jesus. We want to be at the highest places of honor. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. And the example that he gives is his own life. That Jesus, for all the uh, ex exaltation that he deserves as the King of kings and, and Lord of lords, he himself didn't seek that at first when he came onto his earthly kingdom. As a matter of fact, he came to serve and not to be served, which is what he says in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that was the model for how all of the apostles and all of Jesus' followers were to be. You're to serve. If you want to, be, you want to be great, greatness comes through descent. You descend to greatness in Jesus' kingdom. And although this message is given to all of the apostles and all of the disciples, it's particularly directed to James and John because it was their selfish ambition, their self-seeking, their self-love that instigated this response. So now you got a picture a little bit of, of who both James and John were. James perhaps was a, a, a hothead and vindictive against the Samaritans, wanted to call down fire and sulfur uh, on them. Sometimes when I read the news, this is the type of, uh, I, I tend to want to be kind of like John in this area. And Jesus rebuked him for that. Likewise, they were ambitious and wanted their own glory 
And Jesus said to rebuke them for that. A little bit more on John's life here. He was a, a part of that inner circle of three. So we had Jesus had a large group of disciples and he had the 12 that he had specifically called out to commission to do various ministry things. But on a couple of occasions, Jesus had uh, Peter, James, and John as this three that would come with him on a couple of uh, things. They were the small circle that would come to Jesus privately aside after Jesus would teach all of the disciples or he would teach uh, even just all of the apostles. There were a couple of occasions, Mark 13 tells us one of these, where uh, Peter, James, and John come to Jesus privately to ask him some questions to clarify what he's teaching. Peter, James, and John were the three that Jesus brought with him into the house when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's not a miracle that was uh, evident to all. Not all eyes saw this, but, but John got to see this. Likewise, uh, some time ago in our Peter series, we looked at the, the transfiguration when Jesus went up onto the mountain and he was transfigured before them. He brought in those three disciples, those three apostles, Peter, James, and John where Jesus kind of pulled back the curtain and he gave him a glimpse of what he was going to look like in his glorious resurrected state. John saw that. John was, along with Peter and James, was one of the few that Jesus pulls aside to keep watch over him while they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night when Jesus was crucified, after the Passover, which John helped to prepare, tells us in Luke 22. After the Passover, they sung a hymn and they went over to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus was anguished in his heart and spirit. And so he pulled those three aside and he said, I want you guys to pray for me. John was John was there. On the Last Supper, he was the one that as they were reclining around the table, John was the one that is said to have been leaning up against uh, Jesus' chest in John 13. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, John was the one of the apostles who followed to watch. It says that he was at the trial of Jesus. John witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus. And while Jesus was on the cross, Jesus basically had John be his appointed replacement as a caregiver for Jesus' mother, Mary. John 19, it says this, when Jesus saw his mother, this is while Jesus is on the cross, and the disciple whom he loved, which is, by the way, the, the, uh, the self-designation John has for himself in the gospel. The, the other disciple or the one that, uh, that Jesus loved. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. This is a significant moment out of all of 
the disciples out of all of the apostles, he selected John to say, you look after my mother. You care for her. Which he does. It says, and from that hour, the disciple, John referring to himself, took her to his own home. John, along with Peter, is the first to hear from the women who were at the empty tomb on resurrection morning. John ran to go to the tomb along with Peter. John chapter 20, and you could turn there if you'd like. John chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. This is John referring to himself. The one whom Jesus loved and said to him, said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. So John, along with Peter, one of the the first apostles to show up at the tomb. This is what we know about John. We also know this about John. He was faster than Peter. Because he wanted, he makes sure to point this out. Look at in John chapter 20. Both of them, Peter and John, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's kind of like a little jab to Peter. Yeah, you may, you're the rock. Well, I'm faster than you are. So he's faster than Peter, but John is the one who notices the linen that Jesus would have been wrapped in and that it's folded there and he believes. I mean, continuing on, John chapter 20, verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, again referring to himself, who had reached the tomb first, again added that little plug in there, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Right? John was there, rushes to the tomb, and he sees, and then the light bulb goes off. And he believed. Then they went back to their homes. John is one of the, who recognizes Jesus immediately, the resurrected Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 21, the first verse is there. Moving into the book of Acts, and the, early, the account of the early church and how the gospel spread all over, John figures in that story uh, somewhat. He was active with Peter in the apostolic church. We see him in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, and again in Acts chapter 8. He is the author of the fourth gospel, the gospel of John as well as uh, three New Testament letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We read from 1st John. He's also the author of the book of Revelation. So he's he's an author of a significant portion of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, about 20% of the New Testament was written by John, the apostle. And that's third behind, behind Luke and Paul. In post-biblical church history, 
We know a couple of things about, uh, about John. He was a, a leader. He was a major figure in early Christianity in Asia Minor, um, in particular Western Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, Western Turkey. He had personally discipled an, an early church father by the name of Polycarp. For those who were at Heretics and Heroes, we, we looked a little bit at some of these names. Polycarp was discipled by, uh, himself discipled another man by the name of uh, Irenaeus. And both of those were major figures in, in early Christianity. And John was influential in discipling, um, discipling them. As I said earlier, John's gospel, unlike the synoptics gospel, it, it doesn't name the author, but there's several bits of evidence. And one of them, whom is Irenaeus, who was the disciple of Polycarp, who was the disciple of John, um, who said that after the synoptics gospels were written, he said, John, the disciple of the Lord, who also had leaned upon his breast, did himself publish a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia. And so if Irenaeus is correct here, and we have no reason to think he isn't, that we, that's how we know, even though there is no name of John in the gospel, we have from church history uh, a description that this, this is John's gospel. He was a major patriarch in Asia Minor. He was eventually exiled and banished to the island of Patmos for being a, a, an insurrectionist, basically, because anybody who proclaimed that Jesus was Lord and Caesar was not, was an insurrectionist. And so he was exiled and banished onto Patmos, uh, where he received that revelation that we know as the book of Revelation. He received a vision from the resurrected Jesus himself. He was uh, released, we know this from church history, that he was released after his death. He returned to Ephesus and he lived to be at a very old age, perhaps, uh, you know, maybe even over 100 years old. Died sometime about 96 to 100 AD. That's a little survey of the life of the Apostle John. John is a picture of a transformed life by Jesus. John is a picture of a transformed life by Jesus. So a couple of things to, to notice. Let's think a little bit about his early natural and unregenerate life. Remember, he was termed the sons of thunder, probably because they were loud and boisterous, John MacArthur says this of, of John. It says, like James, he was naturally impulsive, intolerant, ambitious, zealous, and explosive. It's probably what is meant by sons of thunder. Going on, he says this. He appears prejudiced and sectarian. He did not look favorably on those who are not affiliated with his group. This is the early life of John. His natural, unregenerate life. Self-seeking, ambitious. I guess you could summarize it this way. is love of self. Love of self. But as John comes to follow Jesus and comes into to know and understand who Jesus is, 
We see a change in his life, a later regenerated life, and that is characterized by, if you could say this, love. As a matter of fact, some commentators refer to John the Apostle of Love because of how frequently he mentions love in his gospel and also his letters. John is characterized by love. In particular, he is loved by Jesus. He is Jesus' very dear friend. That's not to say that Jesus wasn't friends with and loved the other apostles or loved all of the disciples who love him and believe in him. But there seems to be a very special, very close relationship. Again, picturing from the Last Supper, Jesus is, uh, John is the one who is laying up against to, with Jesus. All throughout his gospel, this is the de- designation that he has for himself. The one whom Jesus loved. That's his self-designation. Here, let me give you a couple of the passages here. You could look these up. John 13, 23. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. One we just read, John 19. When Jesus saw his mother and disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Another passage we just read, John chapter 20. When the women come to Peter and John to explain that the tomb was empty, they said they went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John chapter 21, verse 7. And in verse 20, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There seems to be a very special and unique relationship that John had with Jesus. John, John was loved by Jesus. And again, not that other disciples like Peter wasn't loved by Jesus, but you, you think that there was a little bit of a different understanding of like uh, maybe master and servant relationship would be the way maybe Peter would characterize his relationship, his relationship, earthly relationship with Jesus. John's is Jesus loved me. And so that love by Jesus, therefore, results in a love for Jesus. The famous passage, 1 John chapter 4, John writes these words, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John says, we, we love God, but we remember we love God because He first loved us. And that results in a love for Jesus. And lastly for John, I think, is this. 
when he's loved by Jesus, when you are, John's a picture of one who selfish ambition, self-seeking, self-glory, but then comes to have a saving knowledge of who Jesus is, to be regenerated by the Spirit of God, because John is the one who writes very frequently about how it is we become children of God, that we, are, we need to be born again, as we'll see in John chapter 3. John is the one who writes of those things. John is writing in such a way to say, this transformation that has happened in my life is so supernatural, I could never have turned in this direction on my own. I went from being a lover of self, a lover of my own glory, and pursuing my own ambitious ends. And when I came to experience the love of Jesus, that changed me. He came to love Jesus And then when you come to love Jesus, John tells us repeatedly, not only do we love Jesus, we love Jesus's other believers. We love those who love Jesus too. John chapter 13, John says this, a new commandment, uh, he, he records Jesus saying this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is unique to John's gospel. John himself, writing in 1 John chapter 2, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. The word that you heard, what I wrote in John chapter 13. That Jesus said, it's not a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And then what we read in our scripture reading in John chapter three, verse 13, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In chapter five, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And in 2 John, he says this, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John experienced the love of Jesus and it transformed him and transformed him, his heart to loving Jesus in return. And he's the one who tells us repeatedly, and if you love Jesus, you have to love other people. If you love Jesus, you have to put to death your selfish ambitions and instead serve other people. Love other brothers and sisters in Christ. What a picture of a transformed life, right? This is a transformation that can only come by being born again. Which is a theme in John's gospel. That's how he begins in John chapter 1 we saw a few weeks ago. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. 
John is indeed the apostle of love. So here's my question then. Uh, um, if John then in this way forms kind of a, as a paradigm for us, for believers, because I think that we could, uh, for those who, who are, have come to trust Christ, you know that God has loved you. He's demonstrated his love for you in the, in the cross and you love him back. Jesus said, which is the greatest commandment? To, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So here's a couple of diagnostic questions for us to begin uh, this year. Is this true for you? Has your life been one that has been transformed by, by knowing and loving Jesus? I like John's life, and you could do this with other uh, apostles too, like Peter, etc. But there really is a, a, a B.C. and an A.D. to what happens to a Christian life. There is a before Christ version of your life. What was your before Christ version? John was a son of thunder who wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy those who wouldn't believe what was your B.C.? How would you characterize your B.C.? And then how would you describe how it is that you've experienced the love of Jesus? Here's more diagnostic questions. How well are you doing it loving? Have you been reborn and born again by the Spirit of God? Have you grasped the depth of Jesus' love for you? That He would lay aside His glory, His eternal dwelling place in the presence of God the Father and the Spirit in heaven and would come to earth, be born of a baby, born under the law, live righteously under the law, Grow up in a backwoods town in some small portion of the, the Roman Empire who deserves all glory of all of heaven and all of the kingdoms on the earth and yet he come humbly to live a perfect life and then to die on a cross so that wayward and rebellious people might be made children of God. Have you grasped the depth of Jesus' love for you? And then on from that, how well are you loving? And how well are you loving others? This is what I think John presents for us. And as we go through John's gospel, may we kind of always have this in the back of our mind, this picture of, of John, a B.C. and A.D., a before Christ, and then as the marking of him as Lord over our lives. And may we learn from this amazing account that he has of Jesus and his love for us in this gospel. Amen? Let's pray together.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, um, we are amazed at the love that you would show us in your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you do, in fact, demonstrate your amazing love in that Jesus would come and live on this earth and die a brutal death on the cross and be raised to life again that we might become your children. God, help us to know and experience that love as we reflect on that amazing truth of, God, of that gospel. And God, we pray that as we've come to understand and receive that love, that it would, that you would work in us a greater and greater love for you to be obedient to what it is you, you call us to do. That we have daily growth in our our worship and love for your son, Jesus. And God, we pray that it would not stop there, that as we reflect on your love for us, that you would help us to transform our hearts and lives so that we would love brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, we ask you, to do that in us. We pray that you do that in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand for our uh, closing benediction as we send each other off? And... And if you have any uh, questions or anything, I'd love to talk with you afterward. If there's some specific prayer requests you'd like to, be, uh, to make known, um, please uh, come and see me. I'd love to talk. Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.